Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome, listeners, and thanks for joining us on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. In this episode, we're going to introduce you to some stunning falsehoods that were passed off as actual paranormal truths. We all want and like to believe in paranormal stories, that there are possibilities of great mysteries and strange occurrences and other weird worlds just beyond our grasp. The supernatural, the paranormal, well, they fire our imaginations and make us look more deeply at just what might be possible in our physical world. And most stories of the paranormal and supernatural start from an honest place. Sometimes there are errors or exaggerations or even misinterpretations, but mostly the efforts to explore the paranormal are wrapped in genuine efforts to be truthful, at least in the sense of what we sincerely believe to be real. However, there have been efforts to deliberately deceive and trick the public, sometimes for a monetary profit, other times for fame or notoriety. In this episode, we'll share with you five of the most nefarious cases of those who tried to fool us with deception. So join us as we look at scandalous paranormal hoaxes. But before we dive into the story, here's a quick reminder. Check out the Paranormal Factor podcast Facebook page. Every day, Monday through Friday, there's new paranormal and supernatural material for you to explore. Fans of the show know it's the best place to find monsters, quizzes, film, TV, and book recommendations, and current paranormal news stories from around the world. And if you have the Alexa app, you can easily listen to our episodes by simply saying, Alexa, play the Paranormal Factor podcast, and you'll be carried away to our latest episode. Now, on to our episode. As long as there has been paranormal activity and investigations, there have been those willing and even anxious to fool the public. There is an extensive list of infamous hoaxes. For example, George Adamski. Adamski, who died in 1965, was a Polish-American author who became widely known in ufology circles after he showed off numerous photographs in the 1940s and 1950s that he said were alien spacecraft. He further claimed to have met Nordic alien space brothers and claimed to have taken flights with them around the solar system. He was the first and most famous of several so-called UFO contactees who came to prominence during the 1950s. Adamski called himself a philosopher, teacher, student, and saucer researcher, although most investigators concluded his claims were an elaborate hoax, and Adamski himself was just a con artist. In his writings, Adamski claimed he traveled to the Moon, Venus, Mars, and other planets in Earth's solar system and clearly stated they were all capable of supporting humanoid life. Well, of course, science would eventually catch up to him and show these for the lies that they were. Eventually, when caught at lies about UFO sightings and alien contact, he begged others not to expose him so he could continue making money 
on the UFO speaker's circuit. The Dybbuk Box The Dybbuk Box is a paranormal hoax consisting of an antique wine cabinet claimed to be haunted by a Dybbuk, a supernatural concept from Jewish mythology. The box gained notoriety when it was auctioned off on eBay by owner Kevin Manis, who later admitted creating a story featuring Jewish Holocaust survivors and paranormal claims as part of his eBay item description. Subsequent owners retold Manis' story when reselling the item and amplified it with their own claims of strange phenomena. Soon the item was an internet sensation. Manis' story became the inspiration for the 2012 horror film The Possession. However, in 2021, Manis told Input Magazine that the Dybbuk story was entirely fictional. In his Closer Look column in Skeptical Inquirer Online in January of 2019, investigator Kenny Biddle reviewed the Dybbuk box he found on display at that time in a Las Vegas paranormal museum. His conclusion, following careful investigation of the cabinet's construction and history, was, despite what various owners would have us think, the infamous Dybbuk box is not a haunted Jewish wine cabinet from Spain, but instead a minibar from New York. Biddle also wrote he believes this elaborate story that started the entire legend was not an account of real supernatural events, but instead a fictional backstory Manus came up with to sell an ordinary and incomplete minibar. Manus confirmed this in 2021. He admitted to writer Charles Moss the box was his own creation. I am a creative writer. The Dybbuk box is a story that I created. And the Dybbuk box story has done exactly what I intended it to do when I posted it 20 years ago, which is to become an interactive horror story in real time. Manus even offered a challenge to those clinging to the fictional story as fact. I am the original creator of the story of the Dybbuk box, which appeared as one of my eBay posts back in 2003. How about this? If you or anyone else can find any reference to a Dybbuk box anywhere in history prior to my eBay post, I'll pay you $100,000 and tattoo your name on my forehead. Ectoplasm. Wait a minute, you mean the gooey green substance oozing from ghosts in the movie Ghostbusters? Yeah. Are you saying the residue left behind by spirits is a hoax? As it turns out, it is. It does not exist. The so-called ghostly excretion was actually a hoax perpetuated by mediums of the spiritualism belief in the 1800s. It was used to suggest spirits were real and mediums could contact them. It was used like channeling and table raising to convince paying customers everything they were seeing was real. In truth, the physical existence of ectoplasm has never been scientifically demonstrated and tested samples alleged to be ectoplasm have been found to be various non-paranormal substances. Other researchers have duplicated with non-supernatural materials the photographic effects sometimes said to prove the existence of ectoplasm. So relax. If you do run into a Class 5 full roaming vapor, you don't need to worry about getting slimed. Well, I could go on and on with various examples, but there are a few hoaxes that really stand out due to their audacity and the fake authenticity with which they were presented. So we've come up with arguably the five most notorious paranormal hoaxes ever perpetuated. Without further ado, let's get to our list. We begin our list 
with a hoax from the 1800s. Number 5. The Cardiff Giant Known as America's greatest hoax, the 10-foot-tall stone statue of a petrified ancient giant made its 19th century creator, George Hull, a very rich man. Hull was a get-rich-quick schemer and a proud atheist. After an argument with a revivalist preacher over the existence of giants, as mentioned in the book of Genesis, Hull devised a plan to exploit the gullibility of the public. In 1868, Hull hired a Chicago stonecutter to carve a massive hunk of gypsum in Hull's own likeness and then aged the stone with sulfuric acid. He convinced a farmer in Cardiff, New York, to secretly bury it in his backyard. A year later, Hull had the farmer dig a well, instructing the workmen to dig exactly where the stone giant was buried. So, in 1869, workers digging that well in Cardiff appeared to uncover the petrified remains of a giant. Well, as you might expect, the unearthing of the Cardiff giant caused a sensation in upstate New York. News of the creature spread far and wide, inciting fierce debate over the artifact's authenticity. Archaeologists declared the body to be fake, but the public reaction was more accepting especially among those who considered it evidence in support of biblical history that giants once roamed the earth. Hull took the giant on tour and charged 50 cents to see it. It's possible he made up to $30,000 of fortune in the 1860s. Showman P.T. Barnum tried to acquire the body, but eventually made his own replica, causing additional controversy over which was the genuine giant. In December 1869, tobaccoist George Hull confessed to the hoax. You can still see the Cardiff Giant at the Farmer's Museum in Cooperstown, New York. Number 4. Loch Ness Monster, The Surgeon's Photo Well, the legend of the Loch Ness Monster has captivated northern Scotland for over 1,500 years. Carvings of a flippered beast with an elongated head are etched into ancient standing stones near the massive lake. The most famous photographic proof of the Loch Ness Monster is a blurry 1934 image known as the Surgeon's Photo. The iconic image, supposedly snapped by respected Dr. R. Kenneth Wilson, shows the shadowy profile of a creature, its long neck outstretched above the water. The powerful image served as genuine proof of the monster's existence from the time of its original publication in London's Daily Mail. So, by the 1990s, the photo obviously had stood the test of time. Held up by Loch Ness investigators for decades as definitive proof of Nessie's existence, it was truly an iconic photo of a long-sought cryptid, the Loch Ness Monster. I mean, just look at it. Amongst the ripples of a dark gray puddle rises something strange, a thin neck that curls into a head. It looks like a snake or a dinosaur. Of course, that's what it's supposed to look like. Many Nessie investigators believe the beast is really a plesiosaurus. It was considered one of the most important pieces of evidence that the Loch Ness Monster exists. Only this piece of evidence turned out to be disreputable. Now, to be sure, there is a vast array of proof that suggests something could be lurking in the depths of the Scottish Lake. But this photo? Well, it was staged taken in 1934 by Dr. Robert K. Wilson. This was the first photograph taken of the monster's plesiosaurus shape, that dinosaur head with long neck and protruding hump. 
Wilson claimed he was looking at the lock when he saw something rise out of the water. He snapped four pictures, two of which came back clearly. One shows a head propped up, the next the head diving back into the water. For 60 years the photo was prime evidence, but the main criticism was the photo was clearly cropped. In 1993, analysis of the original uncropped image confirmed something was underneath the water, something that was towing the beast. Yep, everyone agreed in 1994 that this was a hoax. But that was due to the fantastic story that came out exposing what had been considered irreversible fact. In 1994, a series of revelations brought the real story behind the surgeon's photo to light. The creature was in fact a model built atop a toy submarine, part of an elaborate hoax perpetuated by big game hunter Marmaduke Wetherell. Wetherell held a grudge against the newspaper The Daily Mail, which had hired him in 1933 to track down the Scottish monster. He was publicly humiliated when he mistook phony hippo tracks for Nessie's footprints. Wetherell's 93-year-old stepson confessed to building the makeshift model for his father who was able to convince the otherwise honorable Dr. Wilson to deliver the photo to the newspaper. They got the model in the lock, started snapping photos, and pushed it under the water when a water bailiff came around. It's actually still somewhere in the lake. There have been many hoaxes associated with the Loch Ness Monster, but none more enduring than the surgeon's photo from 1934. It wasn't the first sighting of the monster, or even the most convincing, but for decades, this photo was truly an icon in the world of cryptozoology. Number three, the Philadelphia experiment. All right, this is definitely one that tops out on our weirdometer. Teleportation of a World War II destroyer escort? People phasing in and out of existence? Wow! The Philadelphia experiment was an alleged event claimed to have been witnessed by an ex-merchant mariner named Carl M. Allen at the United States Navy's Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, sometime around October 28, 1943. Allen described an experiment where the U.S. Navy attempted to make a destroyer escort class ship, the USS Eldridge, disappear. The results that followed, as he described them, were truly weird. In late 1955, Allen sent a book full of handwritten annotations referring to the experiment to a U.S. Navy research organization, and a little later, a series of letters making further claims to a UFO book writer. Allen claimed to have witnessed this experiment while serving aboard the SS Andrew Veryuzov. In his narrative, a destroyer escort was successfully made invisible, but the ship inexplicably teleported to Norfolk, Virginia for several minutes and then reappeared in the Philadelphia Yard. The ship's crew was believed to have suffered various side effects including insanity, intangibility that is phasing in and out of existence, and being frozen in place. Some crew members were said to have been physically fused to bulkheads, some rematerialized inside out, and still others vanished completely. It is also claimed that the ship's crew may have been subjected to brainwashing to maintain the secrecy of the experiment. Well, Allen sent the information to UFO author Morris K. Jessup. When Jessup wrote back requesting more information to corroborate his story, Allen said his memory would have to be recovered and referred Jessup to a non-existent Philadelphia newspaper article Allen claimed covered the incident. 
Various book writers tried to get more information from Carl Allen, but found his responses elusive or couldn't find him at all. One reporter from Allen's hometown of New Kensington, Pennsylvania, interviewed his family. They described Allen as a fantastic mind, but also a drifter and a master leg puller. Popularization of the story came in 1979 when author Charles Berlitz, who had written a best-selling book on the Bermuda Triangle, published The Philadelphia Experiment, Project Invisibility. It declared it all to be a factual event. The book expanded on stories of bizarre happenings, lost unified field theories by Albert Einstein and government cover-ups, all based on the Allen letters to Jessup. Several different and sometimes contradictory versions of the alleged experiment had circulated over the years in paranormal literature and popular movies, but Allen's account of the event is widely understood to be a hoax. The Navy has stated, after many years of searching, the staff of the Naval Archives and independent researchers have not located any official documents that support the assertion an invisibility or teleportation experiment involving a Navy ship occurred at Philadelphia or any other location. A reunion of Navy veterans who had served aboard USS Eldridge told a Philadelphia newspaper in April 1999 that their ship had never even made port in Philadelphia. Allen himself admitted in 1969 his claim was to scare the hell out of Jessup and deter him from continuing his investigation of unified field theory, which Allen viewed as dangerous, though he later retracted this admission. Simply put, there has never been any evidence provided or corroboration of the Philadelphia experiment. Even more telling, any evidence collected, such as the logs of the USS Eldridge and other involved ships, have contradicted the story. On the alleged date of the experiment, October 28, 1943, the ship's log puts it in the Bahamas on a shakedown tour. Well, now let's get to our top two paranormal hoaxes. Number two, the Amityville Horror. Well, the big daddy of paranormal hoaxes, Jay Anson's 1977 best-selling book became a hit film with several follow-ups. The book was billed as a true story, and it was genuinely scary. The story told of a house located in Amityville, New York, with weird pie-shaped windows at 112 Ocean Avenue. It was haunted by slime-emitting, fly-attracting, vengeful Native American spirits and or witches, plus a spectral pig with glowing red eyes. In the fall of 1974, a terrible crime had taken place in the home. 23-year-old Ronald Butch DeFeo picked up a gun and shot both of his parents and all four of his younger siblings dead as they slept in their beds. He pleaded insanity, claiming that voices within the house urged him to commit the crime. That plea was thrown out, and he was sentenced to six consecutive life terms. And that much is certainly true. The home's previous owner, Ronnie DeFeo, really did murder his entire family in the home. And at his trial, he said that voices in the house made him do it. But afterward, the hoax started. A year later, George and Kathy Lutz, along with their three young children, moved into the house. Over the course of the 28 days they stayed there, they reported aggressive voices, unexplained chills, slime across the floor, swarms of flies, odd welts, and the sight of Mrs. Lutz levitating over her bed. 
despite multiple paranormal investigations, including by famous paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren, with varying results, the terrified Lutz family fled the house. But that didn't prevent the Lutzes from cashing in with the bestseller, The Amityville Horror, written about their personal experience. Countless movies based on the events soon followed. However, certain facts of the case were soon exposed to be false. There was no proof of any of what the Lutzes reported happening. Supposed witnesses later recanted statements or contradicted the statements made by the Lutzes. The family who moved into the home after the Lutzes bolted reported an absolute lack of any ghostly activity. In fact, no one who has since lived in the home has reported any instances of paranormal activity. One former owner stated, We had wonderful times in that house. I never felt anything, nothing whatsoever. I was just happy that we were buying the house because we saw the potential of it. And even more damning, DeFeo's lawyer has admitted that he and the Lutzes devised the whole story of the haunting after downing several bottles of wine. What we do know is the Lutzes worked closely with DeFeo's attorney to either fabricate or exaggerate the hauntings, according to ABC News. Out of this, the Lutzes hoped to secure book and film deals, which they did, and the attorney hoped to give credence to his client's not guilty plea, which he didn't. DeFeo was sentenced to life in prison, where he dwelled until his death in 2021. He eventually admitted to ABC that he lied about the voices. And finally, we come to our number one. Not only was it a fraud, it had the unintentional after-effect of generating hundreds of similar hoaxes. And it's due to that impact that it earns the number one spot. Number one, British crop circles. Well, it was an 80s phenomena. The media loved it. The tabloids, they couldn't get enough. Crop circles, strange circular depressions left in fields of crops by unknown means. Speculation exploded. Could it have been aliens landing in their flying saucers, leaving an imprint on the ground? Could it have been some weird weather phenomenon? Mystic mind energies, perhaps? In 1991, the truth emerged. It was none of these things. In fact, it was nothing more than two old men having a laugh. In the 1980s, a series of increasingly intricate patterns emerged in the barley and wheat fields of surprised farmers in Wiltshire, England. Dubbed crop circles, the breathtaking unexplained formations drew crowds of gaping tourists and intense speculation about their origin. Serious crop circle enthusiasts hypothesized the circles, which always appeared overnight, were either landing pads for alien spacecraft, coded messages from a higher intelligence, or symbols downloaded psychokinetically from the collective subconscious. Wow. Doug Bauer had visited Australia, where he had seen media reports of the Tully UFO incident, in which a circular imprint had been left in the reedy swampland from which a flying saucer had allegedly been seen taking off. In 1978, when he was back in England, Doug was at the pub one night with his friend Dave Chorley. As they were walking home together, Doug told Dave about what he had heard. They agreed it would be a bit of a laugh if they created a flying saucer-like indentation in the crop fields to see what kind of reaction they could get. And so they did. However, to their great disappointment, there was no reaction whatsoever. Apparently, no one could see the crop circles except the workers in the fields and 
they didn't seem to be overly impressed by them. Well, this went on for two years until the two old hoaxers realized that they needed a more publicly visible location. Well, they found it in 1981 at Cheesefoot Head, a hill in Hampshire, where, because of the sloping ground, a crop circle would be highly visible to the public. When spring came, they renewed their efforts. Well, the reaction was immediate. The very next day, an article appeared in the local newspaper speculating about aliens landing in the fields. Reporters soon swarmed over the area, and the story was reported nationwide. Only Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley knew the real story. This was the beginning of the crop circle phenomenon. Over the years, Doug and Dave continued to churn out the circles, and gradually a whole industry of experts began to develop around it. People would write books about crop circles, deliver lectures on crop circles, and sound off in every form of media known to man about what they believed lay behind the phenomenon. This was all to the great amusement of Doug and Dave. They collected all of the crop circle reports from the press and had a good laugh about them over their pints of beer. They also took great pleasure in rattling the so-called experts. When one expert announced that miniature tornadoes were what lay behind it because the crop circles always had a clockwise orientation, Doug and Dave went out the next week and made one in a counterclockwise direction. They also started to branch out from the simple circular shapes and do more complex designs. During the crop circle flap, one expert solemnly observed how strange it was that the crop circles only ever appeared on Saturday mornings. Well, this, of course, was because Friday night was pub night for Doug and Dave, and they go out and make their crop circles after knocking back a few beers together. One year, Doug's wife became suspicious at the number of miles their car was racking up. She wondered whether he might be having an affair. Well, faced with these accusations, he had to come clean, so he brought his wife in on the secret. Since they didn't have to hide it anymore, they could make crop circles on any day of the week, not just pub night. The phenomenon became huge. Eventually, there was talk of the government commissioning some kind of inquiry into the whole thing. Well, that was it for Doug and Dave. They'd had their laugh, but enough was enough. They didn't want to see taxpayer money wasted on a study that was going to be nothing but nonsense. So in 1991, they confessed their role in the inventive hoax, which by then had grown to include legions of unaffiliated circle makers across England and around the world. They went public with radio and television interviews and did an exclusive in the Today newspaper for which they were paid £10,000. They even demonstrated how they made the crop circles with a plank of wood. At that time, Doug was 67 and Dave was 62. The crop circle community took the news in stride, admitting the possibility many of the circles were man-made, but also defending the more elaborate and beautiful circles as undoubtedly inhuman creations. Even today, more than 30 years after Doug and Dave confessed to hoaxing the whole thing, some continue to believe crop circles have a mystical significance and a possibly extraterrestrial origin. It seems the need to believe goes on even after evidence to the contrary is indisputable. Well, there you have it, our top five paranormal hoaxes. Of course, our skeptics are all over these. It lends credence to their contention that there are easy explanations for paranormal events, including hoaxes. What do you think? But wait, we're not quite done. We do have one honorable mention, the Cottingley Fairies. In 1917 and 1920, young English cousins Elsie Wright and Francis Griffith 
produced a series of photographs depicting themselves interacting with fairies. In modern times, it's hard to imagine how anyone could be fooled by these obvious fakes, but in the early 20th century, they were convincing enough to attract a huge following and duped such notables as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In the early 20th century, young Elsie Wright and Francis Griffith took a series of photographs which would be used to prove the existence of supernatural creatures. The first pictures were taken in 1917 when Elsie was 16 years old and Francis was just 9. The images depicted fairies as captured by Elsie's father's camera outside of her home in Cottingley, West Yorkshire. Upon examination by so-called experts, the photographs were deemed to be genuine. Spiritualists, among them Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, lauded them as essential evidence for psychic phenomena. The pictures quickly became some of the most widely recognized photos in the world. Photographic experts examined the pictures and declared them genuine. Spiritualists promoted them as proof of the existence of supernatural creatures. And despite criticism by skeptics, the pictures became among the most widely recognized photos in the world. In 1919, Elsie's mother attended a lecture on spiritualism and showed the photos to the speaker, asking him if they might be true after all. The speaker brought the photos to the attention of Edward Gardner, a leader of the Theosophical Movement, who in turn asked a photographer, Harold Snelling, to examine them. Snelling declared the photos were genuine, unfaked photographs of single exposure, open-air work, showed movement in all the fairy figures, and there is no trace whatever of studio work involving card or paper models, dark backgrounds, painted figures, etc. Once they had received this stamp of approval, the fairy images began circulating throughout the British spiritualist community and soon came to the attention of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. A passionate believer in spiritualism, he latched on to the images, convinced they were conclusive photographic proof of the existence of supernatural fairy beings. Well, it was only decades later that the photos were definitively debunked. In 1978, magician and scientific skeptic James Randi debunked the photos using a computer enhancement process to find strings attached to the fairies in the images. It was not until 1981 that Wright and Griffith admitted the hoax. However, both women claimed to have seen fairies for real, even if the pictures were a scam. It's unfortunate that the current paranormal world is beset with hoaxes and fakes. Is it any wonder that technology has contributed? Anyone can employ CGI today to create very realistic fake videos. And with social media pressure for scoring high numbers of watches and likes, it's tempting for many to create hoaxes on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and other social media outlets. So what does that mean for you and me? Just this, be cautious in what you take as real. Be wary of what others want you to believe without question. Let's take a video example. And there are dozens of similar videos out there just like this. Two men driving down a dark isolated road in the middle of the night in the isolated countryside film a Bigfoot crossing the road in front of them. The video is immediately uploaded to social media where it goes viral. But wait a minute. Why were they out on that road just driving around in the middle of the night? Why were they filming video of a routine drive? And how did they just happen to catch the exact moment and exact spot where a Bigfoot happened to cross the road in front of them? In the end, 
If it all seems too coincidental, too good to be true, it probably is. Well, in our next episode, we're going to be sharing with you the story of one of the all-time great American cryptids, the Michigan Dogman. The creature is fearsome and is described as a seven-foot-tall, blue-eyed or amber-eyed, bipedal, canine-like animal with the torso of a man and a fearsome howl that sounds like a human scream. While it was first encountered in Wexford County, Michigan in 1887, it chillingly seems to reappear every 10 years. So join us as we look into the story of one of America's cryptid all-stars, the Michigan Dogman, next time, right here on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Yes, it is. It's quiz time. So here we go. The Cedar Bog Monster was sighted where? Was it A, Georgia, B, Louisiana, C, Ohio, or D, Tennessee? Once again, the Cedar Bog Monster was sighted where? Was it in Georgia, Louisiana, Ohio, or Tennessee? And the answer is... C. Ohio. In 1942, a Bigfoot-like creature was spotted in Cedar Bog, Ohio. This creature was blamed for the disappearance of a group of teenagers, and its legacy still plagues locals today. The region became known for sightings of an ape-like creature lurking in the area with malicious intentions, stalking the darkness of the night. The locals were well aware that there was something mysterious and scary in the vicinity, the cedar bog monster was described as a massive creature, standing roughly seven feet tall, with penetrating red eyes that shone brilliantly. They always have red eyes. It was covered in fur, likely light in color, and most importantly, it exuded a horrifically bad smell. Basically, a Bigfoot creature. Although this one, like the Flintville monster from Tennessee, is distinctly aggressive. In 1945, on a cold night, a car was discovered near the nature preserve, and upon inspection, nothing was found inside except for a trail of footprints that led directly into the preserve. Upon searchers entering the preserve, nothing was discovered, and the missing individuals were never seen again. The car was linked to a local teenager who had gone on a camping trip with two friends. No trace of them was discovered and it was determined that no creatures capable of killing and consuming three human beings existed in the preserve. Clearly, something horrific had happened to them, and the locals were convinced the cedar bog monster was responsible. However, in fairness to the creature, that has never been convincingly proven. Today, sightings of a hulking creature in cedar bog continue, although less frequently than in the 1940s. While locals are not sure what exactly lurks out there, most are convinced something strange lives in the preserve. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, 
please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by. <laughs>